Hello. You are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. On April 9th, 2019, a WTO dispute settlement panel issued yet another legal ruling on zeroing in U.S. trade policy. To commemorate, we have decided to republish our episode number 45 from July 2nd, 2018, where we explained the importance of zeroing. Zeroing is this weirdly technical but massively controversial topic. So have a listen, but also don't miss our brand new episode from this week with former Mexican President Ernesto Zedillo. That's episode number 79. But for zeroing, here we go. Hello, I'm Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. You may have heard that the Trump administration is unhappy with the World Trade Organization, or the WTO. President Donald Trump seems to think that America always loses its disputes. Now, that isn't true. When America makes a formal complaint against another country in the WTO's dispute settlement system, it tends to win. But there is a subset of cases that the US has repeatedly lost. This group of cases where other countries have sued the US and won has made a lot of American trade policymakers really, really angry. It's this anger that underlies one of the biggest problems of the WTO today, which is the fact that the Trump administration is currently blocking the appointment of judges to the WTO's appellate body, or its Court of Appeals. They are essentially holding the whole system hostage. In this episode, we're going to explain what it is that the Americans are so upset about, just what was in these cases that the Americans keep on losing. It's something called zeroing. Zeroing is kind of technical. And unless you're a trade lawyer, it's really unlikely that you've ever heard of it. And on the economist side, there's maybe five of us in the whole world that have actually worked on this thing. But in this episode, we've tracked down one of the best, Tom Prusha. Tom is a professor of economics at Rutgers University and has been worried about zeroing for years. Tom, hi. Hi, nice to be with you. Here's Tom's take on why zeroing matters. Uh, Zeroing has turned out to be the most widely contended, disputed issue in the history of the WTO appellate body. Approximately, as of a a couple years ago, about 25% of all the appellate body cases were involving this one single issue. And it's very important because the U.S. feels strongly that the WTO appellate body has consistently got it wrong, and it's led to strong, bad feelings by the U.S. towards the appellate body. And it's actually also led to many other countries being resentful of the United States' kind of continued intransigence on this issue. To understand zeroing, you need to understand another techie trade thing, which is anti-dumping duties. In general, the WTO rules don't allow you to raise tariffs simply whenever you want. But there are some exceptions that lots and lots of countries actually use. And the biggest exception is when a country says that it's facing imports that are being sold for too cheap. When it says that those imports are being dumped into its market. To go through an example, suppose you're an American steelmaker. You're making your steel, you're happy, and then you start facing competition from imports of South Korean steel. And that South Korean steel seems really cheap, suspiciously cheap. In that case, what you do is you pay some lawyers and they can look to see how much that South Korean steel is being sold for back in South Korea. If the price in America is lower than the price in South Korea, then you have a case and you can claim that it's being dumped. And that means under US law, 
you can get the Commerce Department to apply anti-dumping duties to that imported South Korean steel. If you're an American industry and you want tariff protection, then you want to show that the imports competing with your products are being dumped. Even better, you want to show that it's being dumped for a price that is way below the price it should be, and therefore there should be a really high tariff. Which brings us to zeroing. At a really high level, zeroing is a way of comparing prices. It's a way to see whether a product is being dumped, is the price too low, and, and how egregious is this case of dumping? Should there be a really high tariff? It may sound easy to do this calculation. You just compare the prices in the American market with the prices back home in the South Korean market. But it turns out not to be entirely straightforward. There are a few different ways of actually doing the calculation. And zeroing is one of the ways that makes the gap in these prices look even bigger. So the name comes about because you discount or you apply a weight of zero to examples where the steel coming into the American market is for more than the South Korean market. So you end up ignoring all of the cases where there's clearly no dumping. This is a way of comparing prices across two countries. And it's a really weird way of doing it. it. It's kind of like if you were investigating whether the South Korean football team was shorter on average than the American football team. And you lined up all the players and you just ignored all the players in the South Korean team that were taller than the American team's average. You're ignoring the players that would make you think that the South Koreans are taller than the Americans. Yeah, it's really an abuse of basic math. And obviously, if you're the South Korean exporter that's facing the claim that your stuff is being sold for really cheap, but all the stuff that you're selling at the high price is being ignored, you're going to be really unhappy with this. Here's Tom explaining this some more. Right. So let's first try to understand what has to happen in an anti-dumping calculation. The, the authority is going to compare the prices in the foreign firm's home market relative to the prices it's exporting to the U.S. market. And in that calculation, it has to determine the first step, it, are the prices on average lower in the U.S. market than they are at home? Under the WTO, the, the prices can be lower by up to 2%, so no more than 2% lower. If they're less, so if they're less than that, it's called de minimis and the case will stop. So the fact that zeroing increases the price differences, how you calculate it, it makes it more likely this first stage will be affirmative. And so therefore, it's more likely that they're going to find that the product has been dumped. Now, the second stage of the calculation is exactly, once we've passed the threshold, how big is the tariff that we're going to be able to impose on the foreign firm? And once again, because zeroing leads to higher calculation of, of the amount of underselling, it's going to lead to a higher tariff that could be imposed on the foreign firm. Who likes zeroing? The biggest proponents of zeroing would be the Washington, D.C. trade bar and the domestic industries that they represent. Zeroing leads to a more likely finding that there even is any dumping at all. And number two, it leads to higher tariffs when you do find dumping. This is going to lead to more protection for the domestic industries. And so there is, it's fair to say that the industries who use anti-dumping and their lawyers are fierce supporters of zeroing. How much extra business does zeroing generate for these DC trade lawyers? It's huge. So in work that actually Chad and I did several years ago, we looked at 
cases where we could get data on the margins with and without dumping. And we find that about half of the cases would be found no dumping, but for the fact that the U.S. was using zeroing. So if you extrapolate that to all our cases, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of anti-dumping cases would have gone negative or never even been initiated without zeroing. So that's billions, maybe tens of billions of dollars of U.S. imports that are currently affected by imposed anti-dumping duties that wouldn't otherwise be but for that's, the zeroing practice. That's correct. It's worth pointing out that as a longtime trade lawyer for the steel industry, this is something that Robert Lighthizer, the United States trade representative in charge of U.S. trade policy, he would be very, very aware of this issue. Okay, but back to the WTO. Now, the rules say that countries can't just impose anti-dumping duties or anti-dumping margins, as Tom calls them, however they want. There are rules that the WTO member countries have actually negotiated about how they're supposed to be applied. Here's Tom taking us through the history of zeroing in international trade negotiations. Zeroing was one of the most hotly negotiated issues related to anti-dumping during the Uruguay round in the early 90s, which led to the creation of the WTO in 1995. Prior to 1995, all the major users were zeroing, and I mean all the major users, the United States, Canada, European Union, Australia, everyone zeroed. Countries who were being affected by these higher margins and more likely affirmative dumping decisions negotiated to try to have this zeroing method stopped. And so the language was changed in the Uruguay round. So the language governing how anti-dumping margins are very different since 1995 than it was before. And that's presumably because all of the exporting countries were upset that their exports were being hit by these, well, what they saw as artificially high tariffs created by the zeroing. Right. So the, the major countries who were arguing against zeroing and led as part of what they wanted out of the Uruguay round, countries like Japan, South Korea, Brazil, India, they are at that point are not major anti-dumping users, but they're major targets of anti-dumping at that time. And they felt this was a, a profoundly unfair method for calculating margins. And they were successful. They were able to negotiate dramatically different language in the WTO agreement, how margins are calculated. The one complication, however, is like much of the language in the WTO, the way the parties do come to an agreement is this paragraph is vaguely worded. And so while it's clear if you look at the language before 1995 versus the language since 1995, there's a huge difference it, there is no explicit prohibition of zeroing in that paragraph. But if you compare the two paragraphs, the early paragraph versus the modern paragraph, it's clear that countries should not use the old method. So I've heard an alternative story, which is that essentially the vaguely worded language meant that both sides could walk away from the negotiating table having felt like they'd won. So the Americans didn't necessarily feel like they'd conceded by giving away the right to zero. I think, I think that's correct. And certainly the last uh, 20 plus years of WTO litigation has proven that's clearly the U.S. position is they didn't interpret this paragraph as a prohibition against zeroing. But it appears to be that virtually every other country, a member of the WTO, does feel that's what 
the new language means. So it sounds like despite the official language change, it going into effect in 1995, the United States and even other countries didn't necessarily stop zeroing right at that moment in time. That's correct. So after the new agreement went into force, the two major users of anti-dumping at that time, the European Union and the United States, continued to zero. And that led to the first WTO dispute involving zero, which was a 1998 case against the European Union involving bed linens. So who brought this bed linen case against the Europeans and what was the outcome? So India, they were one of the countries who were behind the hard negotiations to change the language. India brought the case against the European Union in the 1998 case and India prevailed. The European Union lost and uh, the appellate body said that this interpretation that you could zero under this new paragraph was incorrect. And interestingly, the European Union very quickly after this appellate body decision changed their rules. And, and since that time, the European Union no longer zero. So they accepted the appellate body's interpretation or ruling regarding this. I'm guessing the Americans didn't? That's correct. Number one, the United States didn't view that just because the appellate body had ruled against the European Union, that necessarily meant that its implementation of zeroing violated. And so the first case involving U.S. use of zeroing was a 2002 case involving steel, and a case was filed by Japan. Once again in that case, the appellate body ruled that the U.S.'s use of zeroing, just as it had done in the prior case involving the European Union's use of zeroing, was inconsistent with the new agreement, and the U.S. had to stop zeroing. And Tom, tell us what happened next. The U.S. did not stop zeroing, in part because the appellate body, in its early initial decisions, couched their decisions very narrowly. And so, in part, the WTO does is somewhat responsible for creating this huge number of disputes because they crafted their early decisions very narrowly. So the United States would concede, okay, well, we can't use zeroing this particular way, but you didn't say we can't use zeroing in a slightly different way. And so the United States continued to evolve its use of zeroing until two very expansive cases in 2005 and another case in 2007. Interestingly, one of those cases was it was filed by the European Union, the other former user of zeroing. The other case was a large, expansive case filed by Japan. They moved the appellate body by the nature of the cases they filed away from making a narrow decision on zeroing and basically forced the WTO to make it clear that all forms of zeroing were inconsistent with the agreement. And so you would have thought those two decisions more than 10 years ago would have led to the end of zeroing. These are two really strong cases. But again, the United States uh, engaged in foot dragging and did very slow implementation of these appellate body decisions. Can you put any numbers to how many cases this has cropped up in? Yeah, so right now we're approaching 30 disputes involving the same issue. 28 of these 30 disputes have involved the United States. In effect, the last 20 of them have, we've known largely what the outcomes would be because given these two early, very definitive cases. 
But yet the United States has forced uh, member country after member country bringing uh, cases against the United States. This is a very corrosive effect on the WTO appellate body. It's led to zeroing being the single biggest, the most frequently disputed issue at the WTO. So would you say that zeroing has been sucking energy away from other things? Absolutely. So the, the appellate body only has a certain number of hours per year that they can adjudicate disputes. And when they're case after case, year after year, adjudicating very similar disputes, when in fact uh, it's almost clearly, I mean, it's known what the outcome is going to be. It's taking resources away. But, you know, I think the, the consequences for the appellate body go beyond the fact of it's been a giant resource hog on the WTO. It's, it's had a corrosive effect on the appellate body. On the one hand, the United States looks at how it's fared in WTO disputes, and it looks like it's lost a lot of cases. Well, one reason it's lost so many cases is it keeps having the same case brought against it. But secondarily, many other member countries are resentful that why is one member who's been told repeatedly that a certain practice it's following is inconsistent with WTO rules, why is this member continuing to use this procedure? As they, they lose their faith in what the appellate body can do. So if upwards of 30 WTO disputes about this is not the answer, how should this issue have been resolved? In a better world, we would have had the successful completion of the Doha round of negotiations. Zeroing was a topic the United States very, very much wanted to negotiate a resolution to the zeroing issue. But we've been unsuccessful at negotiating this Doha round. The only way in all likelihood to truly either renegotiate and allow zeroing or clearly negotiate language that makes it clear that zeroing is prohibited is through a new WTO agreement. The status quo right now is, at least on one major member's part, it, that it's ambiguous. Do you think this is an important factor behind the U.S. administration's attacks on the World Trade Organization, and in particular the appellate body, the holding up appointments of judges? I might actually argue that this is the single biggest reason behind the U.S.'s current position towards slowing the appellate body decisions. The U.S. is very frustrated. They strongly believe that their view regarding zeroing is correct. They're very frustrated with what they believe are judicially active appellate body members. Is that the judicial overreach we sometimes hear about? So the idea that these judges have made decisions on things that were never negotiated by the different countries? That's correct. That's the U.S.'s position is that they're stepping beyond what, when the appellate body was created, what was agreed upon, the type of decisions the appellate body could make. Where we are now with the appellate body is that the United States is holding up the appointment of judges because of its concerns about how this judicial body is actually working. This is a really big move from the Trump administration. If members of the WTO can't use the WTO's dispute settlement system because the U.S. is blocking judges, then they might start trying to settle their disputes by lashing out on their own, maybe with tariffs. That's a recipe for a trade war. So holding up the appellate body judges could have really big consequences, which is why this zeroing issue is just so strange. While this is a really big issue for the lawyers in the trade bar in certain American industries, it's just not America's most important trade issue right now. 
By my estimates, the fraction of imports where zeroing is relevant is probably less than 1% of U.S. imports. It's just a really, really small economic issue. And I should also point out that there are other reasons that the Trump administration and, and others are annoyed at the appellate body. There are other decisions that they feel are unjustified. There are other procedural problems with the appellate body that the, the Trump administration claims to be trying to fix. So this is one part of the story. But as Chad says, there's probably a disproportionate amount of anger about this issue compared to the economic sums involved. The United States has real problems with China, but zeroing is just not one of them. Because China already gets special treatment in anti-dumping investigations, this thing called non-market economy treatment, we did an entire episode on this, the U.S. can already impose really high tariffs on China without having to resort to this funny math of zeroing. And by bringing the WTO dispute system to a molasses-like pace, so you don't, we're not fully staffed, we're about soon be unable to even have disputes because we don't have enough appellate body members, the U.S. is losing an opportunity to be able to sanction, use the WTO to sanction China because we've handicapped the WTO over what, in fact, is a minor issue. I do think this does get at a bigger problem that faces the WTO system, which is since the end of the Uruguay round in 1995, when the WTO has gone into effect, we haven't been able to make any changes to the rules. We haven't been able to negotiate any new issues that come along. And a lot of these things have to be dealt with through negotiations, Uh, perhaps needing new rules with China, perhaps allowing the United States more clearly to use this thing called zeroing if it's going to insist on doing so. The problem with the WTO and the United States in it is we haven't figured out a way to get all these countries to be able to negotiate outcomes to these types of problems. So, in summary, the Americans like zeroing. It's a way of effectively putting higher tariffs on imports. Crucially, they do not think that they negotiated away the right to do it. So when they see the WTO's appellate body ruling that they can't do it, they can't zero, they see the appellate body as overstepping its authority, as overreaching. And now we have them blocking the appointment of judges to the appellate body. That is potentially a lot of bathwater to be throwing out with the baby. And that's all from Trade Talks. Thanks again to Tom Prusha, professor of economics at Rutgers University, for explaining to us all things zeroing. As usual, tell all your pals about the podcast. Even though they have no idea what zeroing is, they really should find out. And we're on Twitter. I'm on at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bound. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to Trade Talks Twitter handles, zero underscores was already taken. But of course, listeners should know that because they've been listening to Trade Talks since episode zero. The beginning of time.